Indulge me for a moment, and let me just uh, tell you about a bit of a worship experience I had last night. Um, last night, I was not preaching here on Saturday night. Actually, Dan Overby took my message and freed me up so that I could go celebrate my father's 72nd birthday at the Cal USC game um, last night. So that's, that's where I was. I'm not a huge football fan, but to watch my dad enjoy something uh, that he really enjoys was uh, just a gift to me. He's a USC grad, so it was a great night for him. But uh, I will tell you, I sat, uh, someone here at church had access to tickets, and so um, those tickets placed us right in the loudest cheering section of the USC fans. So we had college students all around us screaming as loud as they could, and to make matters worse, three rows in front of us was the Trojan marching band. And uh, so it's the loudest thing I've ever heard, and at one point the band turns around. And um, I counted, and there were like 42 trombones and over 60 trumpets and, of course, drums and all the sousaphones and everything. It's just this wall of sound. Had I had hair, it would have blown right off. Um, but it was a loud, loud experience. And uh, the joy of watching my dad, um, gosh, leap to his feet and, um, and cheer on his team was pretty amazing. But, but the worship moment wasn't so much that, although I did... I was really thankful for my dad in those moments, and that was thankful to the Lord. So that was worship. But, but there was, you know, these plays that happen on the field, and, and people in the stands just um, unconsciously stood to their feet and screamed at the top of their lungs, and they're, they're waving their hands in the distinctive USC fashion. And, um, and it just dawned on me, someday there's going to be a huge stadium. Um, and, and it's, it's going to be a stadium unlike any we've ever seen, and it's going to cover eternity. And, um, and there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation redeemed from all the nations of the, of the world and all of the angelic hosts, and they will be watching the ultimate play to end all plays, and that is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And people will unconsciously, angels will unconsciously either fall to their face or they will stand to their feet and they will sing. Great is the Lord, and worthy is the Lamb that was slain. So that was a little worship moment for me, and just uh, giving God thanks there in a football stadium with the Trojan marching band blowing my bald head back and, and college students screaming in my ear. So it was, it was a good time, and I'm especially thankful for uh, Dan Overby's willingness to help me with that because he took my sermon manuscript, and, and he made it his own and, and filled in for me last night. So um, now I get to do what I... I was originally going to do last night, and that is open a word to you. Unfortunately, this is going to be a little distracting, but my Bible is falling apart. And so the part that I'm going to read from is actually this part. So uh, anyway, if, if hopefully it won't distract you. Oh, one thing I want to say before I read the text of Scripture, there are books in the back. Uh, the title of this book, and I just want to highly recommend it for you, those of you who want to continue to develop your understanding of the Spirit and um, the gifts. It's called Convergence. Um, by Sam Storms, and the subtitle is Spiritual Journeys of a Charismatic Calvinist. Now, that title alone should cause you to, wow, I've never actually seen those two words in the same title ever, even in the same sentence, Charismatic and Calvinist. But uh, it's a, a great book, and, um, and really he's trying to do two things, and that is um, there is a tradition in the Christian uh, Protestant uh, faith that holds high the Scripture and doctrine, and theology, and truth. Um, and then there's also this other stream which wants the fullness of the power of the Spirit and, and the gifts in operation. And his book is basically that 
both should merge in all of their, their fullness. Um, and actually, it's kind of interesting, in one of the opening chapters, he talks about the experience of being in Anaheim at a vineyard conference, which is all about the spirit and the gifts. And then he, on that day, flew back to Orlando, Florida, where he spoke in an R.C. Sproul conference. And so two very different streams that he's a part of. And uh, if you want to continue your, your, your study, that would be a great uh, tool for you. They're 1450. Um, those are pretty much at cost. Um, there's, a, I don't know, 15, 16 copies left. So um, we just want to provide you opportunities to continue to learn. Oh, and by the way, two, two weekends from now, um, the men will be gathering at their men's conference. And I just want to tell you, men, men's retreat, if you haven't signed up, men, I just want to encourage you to do it. Um, I think we have record unprecedented numbers already signing up for it. And uh, I love the spirit of the men's ministry team. Their desire is to do one thing. And that is to seek the face of God together. And I thought that is a great, great um, direction for a retreat. Oftentimes we go and we get loaded up with, hey, do this, 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 this. And we come home with a bigger laundry list than we went with. And this particular retreat is is, uh, just to seek the face of God together. And uh, the elders have freed me to be able to spend the whole weekend there with them or with you. So just I encourage you, if you haven't signed up, sign up. It should be a great time. And I think you'll miss out if if you don't come. Well, with all that said... um, let me read a portion of scripture. John already read it, but I'm going to read it again. First uh, Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Actually, I'm going to begin again at verse 3. Paul writes, Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord. I'm going to use that, so keep that in your mind. Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Pray with me. Father, I feel a sense of, uh, of inadequacy to bring your word to your people. But I do know that in the, in the name of Jesus and more importantly in the blood of Jesus and also by the power of the Spirit, you can take uh, words processed through a frail, fallen human mind and communicated through frail, fallen lips this earthen vessel. And Lord, you can empower them and you can bring them life-giving meaning to the hearts of those who are here. And so we want to, just in this moment, I want to look to you. Um, We want to look to you who who has uh, preserved this living word that wants to live in us, breathe in us, that you would empower this, Lord God, and, and most of all in it, that you would be exalted, magnified, I want to pray with David that you would lead us to a rock that is higher than we are, and that rock is one solitary person, that is you. That there is only one thing in the universe that is certain, unmovable, that we can trust, 
that can bear the weight of our hope, and that is you. That many of us have trusted in things unknowingly, like budgets and 401k plans and even spouses, only to find that they were frail reeds that don't bear the weight of our trust. So Lord, magnify yourself, exalt yourself, so that we might have our faith fed and might find ourselves resting secure, as David said. Um, Find rest, O my soul, in God and God alone. So bless your people, Lord God, now through the teaching of your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I want to jump right into it this morning. Um, We're going to talk about, as it relates to the gifts of the Spirit, which is our our topic series, it's also the topic of these three chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, into the topic of diversity, the diversity of the gifts. Much of chapter 12 is given to this topic of unified diversity. So that's going to be the topic. Before we jump into that, let me just uh, just say a word as to what is central again in the gifts, and this is going to be the, now the third message. I just want to keep it central. And that is what attracts me to the gifts of the Spirit, and what should attract you, what we should desire most in the gifts is God himself, that God is central to this thing we call the gifts of the Spirit, that God manifests himself through these things so that God's people might experience in greater measures who he is. Now, I don't know where you're at in your Christian life, but I'll tell you, my faith is a daily fight. Um, it's a fight against the strength and the inclination of my own flesh, towards the inclinations to be apathetic and comfortable and status quo that are constantly pulling at my soul. Every day is a fight of faith, which requires for me meditation, fresh meditation on the Scripture, to reacquaint myself with how wonderful God is, how powerful He is, um, to cry out and pray, oh Lord God, find rest, find rest, oh my soul, in God alone. But another avenue by which we are strengthened is this thing we call gifts of the Spirit. That where God's people are, have discovered and they are utilizing in faith and dependence upon God's Spirit, where they are doing that, there is an energizing of God's people. There's a strengthening of God's people. There's a, a growing of God's people that not only changes us, and changes me, but it, it, it changes um, the way we Im- impact the world around us. That is, when God's people are alive with him, alive in the gifts, then we'll be far more effective in what he's called us to do in this particular time, namely making the name of Christ known among the nations. And I think that there is a logical sequence that, 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 is, uh, that is necessary, and that is before we can ever bring Christ to the nations, we have to first and foremost be sold out worshipers of him. And have as much of him as we can have. And when God is alive in his people, we will do by nature what we have been called to do, namely share it with others. So my main concern in, in this thing called the gifts, again, just to beat a dead horse, is to know and have more of God and to be more effective in helping others come to know him too. So building on that, Paul now is going to teach us about the importance and the power of diversity in the body of Christ, diversity in gifts. I know some of you might think, well, that's just a self-evident, boring truth. Or you might think, well, it's kind of benign. It's not going to have a big impact. Well, I want to beg to differ. For one, on the basis of how much Paul devotes to this issue of diversity, almost the entirety of chapter 12 goes to show just how important it is, and also what he grounds his theology of diversity in 
I think will show you just how important it is to the body. And I'll also say that I have witnessed firsthand how a failure to grasp just how important diversity is in the body is hamstrung and paralyzed church. So, the diversity of the body, the diversity of the gifts is the topic. Paul is going to be talking about the doctrine of diversity in verses 4 through 11. And the way I want to proceed is look first at the doctrine of diversity, that what the Bible teaches about it. And there's three major points that he makes. And then I want to conclude with, with the application of it to uh, life. When Paul wants to ground really pretty much any theology and anything deep, he starts with one place. The only place that all good, solid theology begins, and that's God himself. Is One of the things that Paul teaches us here in verses 4, 5, and 6 is the diversity of the body reflects diversity in God. In other words, it reflects who God is. He goes to the deepest level and says, this is who God is. That's why diversity in the body is so important. Now let me read these verses, verses 4 through 6. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. And all men there must, in context, be limited to all men and women in the church who are true believers. Now let me go ahead and bring up that um, verses 4, 5, and 6. You'll notice Paul parallels these things. Three parallels. Different kinds of gifts. There's diversity. Same spirit. One spirit. Different kinds of service. There's diversity. Same Lord. Different kinds of working. Same God. Now by accident that Paul, in this parallel ends it with the three different persons of the Trinity. That Spirit in context in verse 4 must be the Holy Spirit. The Lord in verse 5, remember that verse 3 little mark I said, keep that in your mind. Verse 3 at the very end tells us that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. So in context, I think it's unmistakable to think and see that the Lord is referring to Jesus. And then the last of the three, different kinds of working, but the same God, author of all of them, um, working all things in all men. It's one of the earliest and perhaps one of the most important references, almost an unconscious reference on Paul's part to the Trinity. The triune God, the one God who exists in three distinct expressions or persons. In other words, he is grounding this idea of the diversity in the body in the diversity of God himself. So you see, it's a, he goes to the deepest level and says the diversity of God is important, or excuse me, of diversity in the church is important because it reflects who God is. Now the Christian church rises and falls with this central core taproot doctrine of the triune God. From the very beginning, the churches believed that, oh church, the Lord our God is one. That he is one in essence and one in purpose. And that's picked up in the word same. Same spirit, same Lord, same God. At the same time, throughout the scripture, we find that God exists in three particular diverse expressions of Father, Son, and Spirit. 
with distinctive functions. So the Son does something that the Father does not do. So you have the Spirit, who's naturally associated with the gifts. That's one of the Spirit's functions, is to give the gifts. And you have the Lord, associated with service, which is rather fitting, since He came not to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. His whole life is about suffering and service. And then different kinds of working. Same God and Father who works all things in all men. That is to say, the simple point is that Paul, when he's going to talk about the diversity of the church, he's going to ground it into the fact that God himself is diverse. That he is a unified one, and yet an expression of three. So, Diversity in the church, diversity of gifts, reflects diversity within God Himself. It's a reflection of Him. That makes it, in my mind, pretty important when you're grounded in who God is. So that's the first doctrinal point he makes, is the diversity in the body of Christ reflects the diversity of God Himself. Spirit, Lord, and God. Second doctrinal point made in verse 7 and following, is that not only does diversity in the church reflect God, but it manifests His presence in the church. It manifests Him. It discloses Him in the body. That's verse 7, where He makes a bit of a shift. I'm going to read through 11. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And now verses 8 and following, he goes on to give examples of what that's like by alerting us or uh, showing us different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit. And by the way, these are just representative and not exhaustive. And they are not the main point. We're going to look at some of these two weeks from now, no, next week um, in particular. But I want to get to the main point, namely that that... The diversity manifests God in the body. So he says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To the one, here's an example, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge. By the same, by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and so forth and so on. And then concluding in verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. In other words, diversity in the body of these different gifts that God gives by which he manifests himself, and that is what he's doing. When someone has a gift of wisdom, they are manifesting God's wisdom to the body. They are manifesting God's knowledge to the body or God's healing power to the body. It's God's manifested presence in and through the gifts that that diversity discloses him. It it, it brings him into the realm of experience, as I argued on the first message, and since I touched on this verse, I won't belabor the point, except to um, draw your attention to two phrases. And that is, in verse 7, he talks about, now to each one, that's phrase number 1, and at the end of verse 7, he says, it's given for the common good. To each one tells us that to each and every believer in the church, there has been given a manifestation of the Spirit. Something by which God has designed to disclose or show himself to the family, the church family. 
Everyone in here who truly believes has one or more. And part of our job is to discover exactly what that is, and in faith and dependence upon God, to exercise it for the sake of the family. Because that's the next part, the second phrase I wanted to draw your attention to, namely the common good. That these gifts were not given for our own private and selfish pleasure, but to be used for the sake of the family. And by nature of the fact that they come from one spirit tells us that they will be consistent and they are unified in one major purpose, namely manifesting God and exalting Jesus. That's why he emphasizes the one so often. There's a oneness underneath and through this diversity. But they were intended to help the family uh, encounter greater measures of who God is. So if you use your gift, you're helping the body. If you don't use your gift, you're depriving the body. Not just of your service, but more importantly, God's presence. Because God manifests himself through the diverse gifts. He wants to manifest his mercy in a unique way if you have the gift of mercy. He wants to manifest his love in a unique way, in the way in which you love people. He wants to manifest his truth in a unique way, in the way that you speak truth, in the way that you teach, or the way that you encourage, or the way that you counsel. That there is a unique diversity in the body designed by God through which God shares himself. That was doctrine principle number two. That is, the reason diversity is important in the body is because, one, it reflects who God is, Number two, it manifests God's, if you will, diverse, glorious perfections to the body. And then the last one here is that diversity in the gifts are a work of God. They reveal God, or not reveal, reflect God, they manifest God, and they are a work of God. That's the concluding point of verse 11. He says, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Now put together those verbs of verse 11, and you realize that the Spirit of God determines who gets what gift, and then he gives them that particular gift, and then he's the one who works through that particular gift, telling us that ultimately the gifts are not ours, they are his. And if he determines who gets what, I can in no way, shape, or form take any credit for having a particular gift. It's him who determined and then gave you your particular gift. I didn't go to school, get a degree to get a gift. A school doesn't give one a gift. All they can do is form it and enhance it. The Spirit of God alone is the one who actually gives the gift through which he then works. And that should create a real sense of humility about the whole thing we call gifts of the Spirit because He determines who's going to get what, He gives them that particular gift, and He and He alone is the one who works in it in a supernatural way to show God's mercy and His love and His truth and His healing power. So in the end, you put these three together, these three doctrinal points, that this diversity of gifting in the body is a reflection of God, it is a manifestation of God, and it is a work of God, comes to show you that the gifts are really, in the end, all about God and bringing God into the community. Faith, 
He's at the center of it. Well, having laid out, if you will, the doctrine of why diversity is important, that it was a creation of God, church to be this way, you might be thinking, okay, so what? Big deal. How does that like make a difference? Well, let me draw out two ways. Now, in one sense, the rest of chapter 12 is going to apply these verses. Now, I could just use those applications, but then I'd have nothing to teach next time. So I want to draw out two that I think are more specific to our particular context that I see hamstringing and paralyzing certain portions of our church. And I've seen it in churches I've been a part of. If it's true that diversity in the church, diversity of gifting in the church, reflects who God is, manifests who God is, and also accomplishes God's work, then it should influence how we see other people. That is to say, if it's by design that we're diverse, and if we reflect who God is by being diverse, then it seems to me that we should celebrate, rejoice, affirm, and encourage the differences and distinctives we see in the church body. A very different grouping of people with people from every size, shape, and color, and different voices, and different personalities, and then different gifts that are welded to those personalities. A willingness to celebrate that, that difference and that uniqueness. When I was trying to get my head around, okay, what, what, what exactly does that look like? The image that came to my mind was, was a prism, you know, a picture of a prism, at least a form of a prism up here on the screen. And I started thinking through all the analogies, uh, and ways in which the church is like a prism. And most of us have played with these as kids, which you shine it into a light or shine a light into it, and then out from the other side there's this dispersion of different rays and colors of light. So one beam of light goes in, and then a prism separates those things out and shows us the blues and the greens and the yellows and so forth. It struck me the church is, in many respects, a prism of God, a divine prism. On the one hand, it is a singular entity. It's a singular piece of translucent or, or, or uh, clear material. In the same way that God designed the church to be a singular entity. Not a divided, fragmented, but a singular entity. In addition, what's also striking about a prism that makes it like a church is that it does not generate light of itself. In the same way the church does not generate light. Never did. And never will. The church only refracts what's on the inside. In the same way you need a beam of light to go into a prison and then burst forth, is that when God inhabits his people, he then shines and refracts himself through the church, and in particular through the diversity of the gifts, which is really the most important part of the prism idea, and that is it has a lot of different facets to it, a lot of different faces through which that beam of light is then shot out in a whole bunch of different color variations. That is precisely what God intended with the gifts of the body. He didn't intend us all to have the same gift or be the same. But to understand that through the various facets of this God prism called the church, God wants to shine in his own diversity outside the diversity of the, of the gifting of the body. And it should be a beautiful thing. 
to see the reds and the purples and the oranges and the fuchsias and the copes, teals. I don't even know if a prism actually produces all those colors, but it's a beautiful thing to see a prism shining in a room. It's a beautiful thing to see God's glory shining through the diversity of gifting and personalities in the church. It should be. Imagine how how diminished the beauty would be if the church just beamed forth one monochrome color. God didn't intend that to be the case. That He intended to shine forth the glory of His love through the individuals of the church in unique, varied ways. A blue with a slight teal that He intended on showing forth His mercy through a particular lens of your life in a way that's unique. That He intended on on showing His truth and His wisdom through the uniqueness of a gift welded to a personality. That's you. So that it bursts forth in so many different colors. And the different aspects of God are seen in the diversity of, of the church. That's what it was meant to be. And when, it, when, it's, uh, when the church is a place where people do celebrate and they affirm and they encourage that, it becomes a place of great joy. But alas, the church has not been so good about celebrating the uniqueness of individuals and how God uniquely crafted them and gifted them. There is, there is a proud, arrogant tendency, tendency to judge in a way that seeks to diminish distinctives and uniqueness, belittle it, or conform it to something else that destroys its own uniqueness. And sometimes that conforming pressure to be something that you're really not is someone's own personal self-definition. This is what I think you should be, and therefore you need to be this. Or the scourge of comparison. If only you were like this other person because he does it better than you. And then the person in the church feels like there is this suffocation of, of how they were created in their own uniqueness. If that particular elder would just oh, shepherd like I think they should shepherd. If the deacon would just lead like the other deacon I see, he's better. If the person who has the Bob Dylan voice would only sing like Jeremy Camp. If Dan Deckard would only preach like John Piper. Oh, in a thousand years I wish I could do that. But you know what? I never will. Because God didn't make me him. John Barry would only be Darlene Check. Now there's a <laughs> image. But... It it happens. I know it happens because I see it happen. If only you would be. And what ends up happening is that it, 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 it destroys the prism. It doesn't allow a person to be their own unique little face, little facet through which God's glory will shine. Well, we're spent most of the time looking at each other and picking at the inadequacies and not celebrating the strengths. 
And so then, it's no wonder that oftentimes it feels like a big wet blanket is thrown over God's people. The same thing happens, by the way, in marriage. You know when they say that opposites attract? That's not just a law of attraction. That's by design from God. I believe wholly and completely. Chances are, if you're married here, in fact, I won't say chances are, I know. I haven't met a couple that is exactly like yet. You were attracted to someone who is quite different than you are. And it drew you to them, type A's to type B's, and type B's to type A's, to extroverts to the introverts, and the introverts to the extroverts, to the mildly messy to the moderately neat. Attracted to each other. An opposite that was intended to strengthen the relationship. And at first it was beautiful. Until you got married. And you know exactly the reason people chuckle. Because you know it's true. And then what was once a glorious distinctive intended to strengthen, which you should continue to glory in and rejoice in and celebrate, all of a sudden becomes a liability and a source of irritation. So the type A wife looks at the type B husband and thinks you're lazy. Type B husband looks at his wife and thinks you're retentive and impatient. The introverted husband looks at the extroverted wife and says, you have so many friendships, they they have to all be superficial. And the extroverted wife looks at the introverted husband and says, you're antisocial and unfriendly. The mildly messy wife looks at her moderately neat husband Thinks you need to chill out. You're a prude and rigid. And the moderately neat wife looks at her mildly messy husband and says, you're a pig. (laughs) And it's sad that we laugh at that. (laughs) Because it's too true. Because what ends up happening then is you spend the rest of your marriage trying to convert each other to one's own side. And what was once a glorious distinctive now becomes a source of irritation and, and the type A wife wants to convert her type B husband to her expectation. And the type B husband wants to convert his type A wife to his expectation. And no longer is the distinctive something that they celebrate or strengthen, but their desire to conform those distinctives begins to erode and can destroy a marriage and the beauty of it. So instead of celebrating... You end up trying to conform. And that's the same kind of thing that that happens, unfortunately, in the church. As we see people with different perspectives, different colors of the light. And we think, if only they could be just a little bit more like me, or a little bit more like so-and-so. And And we don't celebrate who they are in their own uniqueness. by By matter of the fact that there is distinctions means there's always going to be a sense of tension. The question is, are we willing to be patient and gracious to see, hey, you know what? He may not be good in this particular area, but boy, he shines in this area. I love what God's doing in him. That's an amazing perspective, a liberating perspective in the body. If people saw each other that way, that we're equal facets of the prism, the God prism, and to celebrate others. I think this truth, that diversity reflects God, manifests God, and is a work of God, I think should help us to see others and celebrate the differences and distinctives 
in the body of Christ. Second application is a, cor- a, a, a corollary to that. That is, it should influence, I think, how we see ourselves. Namely, that there ought to be a tremendous amount of freedom that comes with this. Freedom to be who God uniquely designed you and gifted you to be. It's a freeing thing to know that by the grace of God, I am what I am. He didn't make a mistake in my personality or the gift that he welded to that personality. And to live in the freedom of knowing I'm going to be that unique person God designed me to be and then is working in me to be. It brings to mind a, an experience I had as, as, a, as, a, as a young person, four, five, six years old. My best friend was a kid named Robbie Robbins, two R's, Rob Robbins. Ironic that I was Dan Deckard, D-D-R-R. Anyway, we were polar opposites, completely opposite. And um, he was pretty much one of those kids that I thought if, you, if he came close to a pond, he could walk across it and not sing into it because he was seemed, from my perspective, pretty perfect. He was homeschooled, brilliant, knew half the Bible by memory, and whenever I do something bad, he'd quote a scripture at me, and oh, <laughs> I hated that more than anything. He always seemed to be compliant with his, to his parents, obedient. He was praised all the time by others, not just his parents. That's Robbie Robbins. Then there's Danny Deckard. <laughs> Quite a different person. Um, you just talk to Mr. Overby, uh, Dan Overby. He knows my past and knows my reputation, and, and none of this is over-exaggeration that I'm about to tell you. That more often than not, I spent time on Sunday morning sitting next to my parents and not in Sunday school because I got kicked out. They would leave a nice little seat for me because they knew, inevitably, the Sunday school teacher would get fed up with me. Danny, go sit with your parents. And I would. That's what I do. In elementary school, the principal knew me by name. And I knew the secretarial staff by name. Hi, Mrs. Smith. Hi, Danny. You again? He's waiting for you. And I go into the principal's office. That was back when they could do corporal punishment. You know, they could, they could spank you. I'd just walk in and assume the position. I just knew. Danny Deckard, are you here again? Reputation that... <laughs> I have some people up in, up in my hometown. When they found out I was a pastor, they thought it was a joke. At any rate, it wasn't because I was malicious or necessarily mean. I just liked to goof around, screw off, play practical jokes, and huck water balloons at cars, stuff like that. Someone noticed the difference between Robbie Robbins and little Danny Decker. Robbie Robbins never got kicked out of Sunday school, and Danny Decker did. And someone came to my father, and they said, I wish your son Danny... It's more like Robbie. You know what that can do to a kid? You've just placed the whole burden, a mold upon him. He wasn't meant to live out. Sense of guilt. Oh, I need to be him. And then you're forever trying to be something you'll never be. And I'll never forget what my father said. Now, he could have said, yeah, I wish he was too. That would have been devastating to me. But he didn't say that. My father said to this person, he said, you know what? I don't want 
Danny to be like Robbie, even though he embarrasses me a lot. I want my son to be Danny because he's all boy. That's the way I want him. God has a unique fingerprint in his life, and I don't want to destroy it. Now, he wasn't excusing my bad behavior. He needed to discipline me over and over again to help me become who I was. God's still doing that with me. But he recognized. This little guy has his own little DNA. And it would crush him to take someone else's DNA and place it on him. I want to help him discover who he is and how God's made him. That he has a distinctive ray of light that's going to shine out of his life and I'm not going to screw it up by putting somebody else's form or mold on him. It was brilliant. And if only we had the same perspective both on ourselves and other people. But you know what? God wants to shine a distinctive hue of light in your life. And you ought to be free to follow that. Again, it's not an excuse for immorality or anything like that. Because when we talk about diversity in our time, we're talking about diversity of perversity most of the time. Immorality is not one of those facets of glory in the church. We're talking about the unique way in which God takes an individual, their personality that he made. It's fallen, but he made. And gives them particular talents and aptitudes and then imparts some kind of ability and he welds it into a whole, which I would call a spiritual gift, which then has a distinctive shine to it that nobody else in creation will ever have, with the exception of Jesus, because he has the fullness of all of it. Making each person distinctively unique. And the freedom of recognizing, hey, I don't have to be a Dan Deckard or a Dan Overby or a Jim or a Smith or Sally. God wants me to be who I am and, and discover the gift of who I am and, and beam forth that particular ray of light that shows people who He is. That is a freeing reality. A freeing reality. If only we could as People, when you're tempted to think, if only she was like this, to think, ah, oh, but there's something in there that's unique that I love, like my dad. That creates a healthy environment of seeing and celebrating the diversity in the body of gifts and so forth, but also recognizing that I have the freedom to be uniquely how God has shaped and molded and gifted me to be. And to be it inside the walls of the church or outside the walls of the church, in structured ministries or outside structured ministries, but to use and display and let that little distinctive light shine. If each and every one of you who believe by what I just said, namely that the church here is a prism, a God prism, and He is calling you, each of us, to discover that distinctive ray of light that He has created you to be and gifted you to be, and to let it go. And to be free to let it go. You'll discover the joy that far exceeds the joy of football, basketball, baseball, fishing, mountain climbing, because you'll be doing what God meant and created and has empowered you to be. I'd love to see the Spirit of God Reflecting through that prism. Reflecting through Parkway in a way that frees each person to be what God designed them to be and to celebrate 
the differences in others so that he, God, might be manifested through our own uniqueness and diversity. Because again, it reflects God, manifests God, and it is a glorious and wonderful work of God. Lord, help us to make that a reality. I know that your spirit and the spirit alone is the only one who can take that and change our attitudes, change the words that come out of our mouth, to begin reflecting more deeply on the unique glories we see in people than the dark inadequacies that we see in people. Lord, that we would rejoice in the things that you have made, albeit we are all broken, and yet you still choose to use us as those, those faces on the prism of your, your church. So, Lord, please just continue to do your work in our body, freeing us and allowing us to be who you've created us to be for your son's sake. We want to be a church that's alive with God and sharing the life of God with other people. So we pray this in your name and by the power of your spirit. Amen.